We acknowledge that we work on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge that this land is stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. We pay our respects to Elders, past, present and emerging. And welcome to this episode of This Crown is on Fire, the podcast where we look at the challenges to everyday women and how we can tackle those uh, in these modern times. Today's episode is a special episode to celebrate Women's History Month. Because I am a proud Melbourneian and a Victorian, uh, today we're going to be looking at the life and times of Millie Peacock. Millie Peacock was the first woman elected to the Victorian Parliament. Before we get started, though, I would love it if you could pause the recording and perhaps go give us a bit of a rating or a review on your podcast app of choice, uh, particularly if you are listening through Apple. Uh, it really does help get the podcast out and about and into the ears of women who might need to hear uh, these types of advice and episodes and, and understand that the challenges of daily life are completely normal and something that we can all work through together. Similarly, if you're not following us on Instagram, uh, you can find that at Wear Your Crown PP. Over on Instagram, you can find out all about my uh, facial paralysis. Um, I've got a highlights there about my new hearing aids. Uh, and all sorts of other bits and pieces, daily inspiration, etc. So highly recommend that you head over and give us a follow over there as well. Regular listeners would know that we start every episode with the question, what has been on fire this week? And I think that in the continuation of March, I think that, you know, women in general are now on fire with rage, particularly in Australia as we look at the continuation of the scandals out of Canberra. I made a joke to someone at a barbecue the other day that politics is considered my sports ball and currently my sports ball has more sex scandals than regular sports ball, uh, which is a bit of a feat in this country. Uh, and they laughed and agreed with me. So that's a bit of a sad state of affairs. Last Monday, we saw the March for Justice happen, where women came together in order to demonstrate their rage and disappointment in the leadership of the government. And I heard that being, I suppose, referred to as a bit of a lynching mob that were really just after Christian Porter's resignation. But it's such a, a simplification of that issue. Uh, women are entitled to be loud and take up space, and it really did just uh, quantify for me that that attitude that women should be quiet and uh, put up with it uh, is still there even in the face of discussing uh, whether or not consent uh, is encouraged and taught uh, to boys and to girls throughout that time. We've also seen uh, Minta Allison uh, remove a female uh, lawyer who you know expressed her concerns about taking Christian Porter on as a client and how that uh, didn't go with their 
views and values of an organisation and the fact that a woman is the first person to, to lose her job over this particular scandal is not ironic to me at all. It's not a shocking outcome. It doesn't surprise me. Uh, it just seems to be a really good way to summarise what's going, in the, going on in the world at the moment. So, yeah, women definitely on fire with rage. Uh, and I don't think that it's going to get any better for this government uh, anytime soon. In fact, it, it might very well get a lot worse. So I'm looking forward to, you know, reading what plans they have to address these sorts of issues and make it better for women across the country. We all know that the power imbalance between the genders can often come back uh, to a, a thought process of representation and what young women can see. We need to have more female CEOs. We need to have more female leaders in our parliament and in our councils uh, and just being seen to be people who are able to make decisions, strong decisions, uh, without being questioned and without being berated when things go wrong. And it's interesting to think about the fact that we're coming up to the 100 years of women being allowed to even run for elections. Uh, the Parliament Act was only changed in 1924. So in three years' time, we're going to see that centenary. And Millie Peacock, uh, I suppose, was the first woman to really benefit from that change. She couldn't have run prior to that, even if she'd wanted to. But it still took 10 years for her to be able to make that move. It was 1933 when she was elected. She was actually elected in a by-election after the death of her husband. Uh, when you Google her name currently, uh, it still comes up as that main descriptor, Millie Peacock, Andrew Peacock's wife. She's not listed as the first woman elected to, to the Victorian Parliament as the first part of her identifier, which I find incredibly sad for 2021, but rather listed first and foremost as Andrew Peacock's wife. It is an important factor about her, and it definitely did come into the way that she identified herself. And I can relate to that concept as well, having been married and was very proudly married at that time. But it certainly wasn't all that she was. So let's explore a little bit more about who Millie Peacock was, how she became the first woman to be elected to the Victorian Parliament and what she stood for. Millie Gertrude Holden was born in the little town of East Framlingham in Victoria, Australia. Framlingham is a rural township located out by the Hopkins River in the western district of Victoria. It's about 20 kilometres northeast of the coastal city of Warrnambool. Most recently, the township had a population of 158. Millie was born to Marianne and John Holden, the second of two daughters born from this marriage. Millie's parents were from Ireland and her father arrived in Victoria in 1855, became a successful land agent and auctioneer. By all reports, he was an excellent public speaker. Her mother had unfortunately passed away when she was just a few months old and her father remarried Millie's maternal aunt, Marianne's sister, Jane Ellen Arnold. Jane and John gave Millie eight more siblings, and Jane was referred to as her mother throughout the rest of her life. 
Millie's parents sent her to Melbourne for her education, staying as a boarder at the Methodist Ladies' College in Kew. In 1899, while her parents hosted members of the Australian Natives Associations during a conference, she was introduced to politician Alexander Peacock. Now, don't be fooled by the name of that particular association that was not about Indigenous rights or the fight for equality or recognition of our Indigenous First Nations network. No, rather it was about men, mostly, who had been born in the Commonwealth of Australia as opposed to people who had come here from the British Commonwealth. However, I digress. Alexander and Millie were married on the 1st of January 1901, the same day as Federation. She was 30 years old when they got married and he was 38. The following year, Alexander Peacock was knighted and she became known as Lady Peacock. For the first 14 years of their marriage, Millie was mostly stuck with domestic housework and although they didn't have any children themselves, the Peacocks seemed to stay close to Millie's family, especially Millie's full sibling Agnes and her husband Charles. From 1914 to 1918, Lady Peacock was the president of the Creswick Red Cross Society, and as a member of the Ladies Benevolent Society, Children's Welfare Association and the Victorian Institute for the Blind Auxiliary, Millie's days became more and more busy. As a result, she became quite well known around the community as someone who was a strong speaker with a lot of empathy. She took a keen and active interest in the affairs of the Allendale district that her husband was the representative of. The Sydney newspaper, The Mercury, commented in November of 1933, so familiar did she make herself with the people of her part of the country and their needs and problems that Sir Alexander was often heard to say that she knew more of the electorate than he did and she was popularly known as the deputy member. Millie was a popular supporter of her husband's political campaigns and quite often made speeches to the community on his behalf when he was away on business. Alexander himself had been a Member of Parliament since 1889. He spent 44 years as a Member of the Victorian Parliament. During this time, he held various ministerial portfolios. He was the Premier on three occasions and was elected the Speaker in 1928, a position he held until his death in 1933. At the time of his passing, he was 72 years old. On the day of Sir Peacock's funeral, Lady Peacock was approached by Mr Menzies, a member of the Victorian Parliament at the time, who later became Australia's longest-serving Prime Minister. Menzies encouraged Millie to stand for her husband's seat. After all, she was very popular, she knew the concerns of the electorate well, and she was well and she was well versed in the requirements of a politician. Evidently, she was not keen on a political career for herself and stood reluctantly. It seemed to be important to her that she finished some of her husband's work. However, she made conditions that she was not required to do any speeches during her campaign as she would still be mourning her husband. 
This was agreed, and during her campaign, she made no public appearances at all. The men of the United Australia Party spoke on her behalf. On November 11th, 1933, the by-election for Allen Day was held. Millie Peacock won the election by over 1,500 votes. The Argus newspaper viewed the result as a clear call to continue her service to the electorate. The Age newspaper reported, Another step has been won in the women's fight for complete freedom and equality. Vida Goldstein, who was the first woman to stand for the Victorian Parliament nearly 10 years prior, expressed her her gratification at the election of Lady Millie Peacock. She felt that women would have an excellent representative in Lady Peacock and recognised that Sir Andrew Peacock had always been a supporter of women's suffrage. On the 21st of November 1933, just 10 days after the by-election, at age 63, Millie Peacock was sworn in as a member of the Legislative Assembly, a member of the Lower House. The Speaker's Gallery and the Public Gallery were crowded, mostly with women, from many women's organisations. There was no maiden speech on that day, but it was inspiring to see her take her feet in the Parliament. In fact, Lady Peacock only made one speech to Parliament during her her sitting time. It was on the 5th of September in 1934, and it was in support of the Factories and Shops Bill. This is the bill that had been of particular interest to Sir Alexander Peacock, and we're fairly sure is the reason she agreed to take on the role in order to complete its work. During this speech, reported to be very moving, she emphasised the plight of female outworkers, praising her husband's role in establishing the wages board system to fix fair wages and conditions for Victorian workers, concluding, I feel very proud that I have been able to stand up in this house, which is truly representative of the people, and I give my support to this legislation which I feel is not only due and necessary, but reflects the highest instincts of humanity. She saw out the rest of her term, but did not seek re-election in 1935. She was asked if it was because she thought that politics was not a sphere for women. However, she responded, I would not say that, but I would say that representing a country electorate is really a man's job. This is often misquoted as Lady Peacock saying that politics was no place for a woman. Clearly, this was not her intention. By all reports, Lady Peacock was an excellent local member and effective in the work that she completed. She was not an exceptional woman. She was not a woman with any particular set of talents. She was a regular woman from a regular small town who took an interest in her community and was able to take up their needs to Parliament. If anything, the story of Millie Peacock shows us that Parliament is accessible and it is a place for anybody that feels like they have something to contribute, who wants to make sure that the community's needs are heard and that the role of government to take care of its citizens is prioritised. Thank you for joining me for my Women's History Month profile of Lady Millie Peacock, the first woman elected to the Victorian Parliament. 
If you enjoyed this episode, I highly recommend that you go and check out episode 112, episode 12 of season 1, uh, which is all about the Lady Hercules, Katie Sandrina, part of our feminist history from last season. Katie Sandrina was a strong woman in the circus and a keen suffragette. So yeah, go and check that one out. You'll find it on your favourite podcast app. Did you find out about any amazing women that you didn't know about during the month of March this year? Is there a woman that you'd like me to do a profile on during this particular season of This Crown is on Fire? Let me know via our Instagram page at WearYourCrownPP. And while you're there, would be worth following us for lots of different tips and tricks on productivity and positive mindset. If you haven't listened to last Friday's episode of Wear Your Crown, I highly recommend that you go and have a look at it in your favourite podcast app in less than 15 minutes uh, and gives you some great tips about getting your productivity back if you're starting to feel a little bit of that, you know, quarter year slump. That's right, we are already in March and so this Friday's episode of Wear Your Crown is going to be all about reviewing your goals and reviewing your strategies for success. So join me on Friday, hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. Don't forget to like, rate and review this podcast as well. Uh, I'm really excited to be announcing our first book club book of this season this week so look out for that on instagram have an amazing week and i will hear you on friday <laughs>